scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John and the Acts of the Apostles. A reading from John chapter 10. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, because, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And now a reading from Acts chapter 2. Those who had been baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And lastly, a reading from Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask you now that you would meet us here, however we find ourselves this morning. Help us to know that you see us, that you know us in all of our beauty and in all of our consternation and fragmentation and challenge. And your response is always to move towards us, to renew, restore, and heal. And so give us grace to believe that today. Give us grace to believe that you have seen fit to see this meeting, this moment take place, that you are present now. And so help us to be present to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, there's a lot of good memes that came out during COVID. One of them about six months in was this uh, thing. I think it was a tweet, actually. And it was uh, the whole how it started and then how it ended or how it's going. The initial one that set all this off was this one. This is from September of 2020. The person says, um, I, I see you and I hate you. And then I live for you being exposed. Also, congrats. Nice excuse to slide into my DM. So that's how it started. And then they're together as a couple, how it ended. Another one. Uh, there's a couple together, how it started. <laughs> sad. Anyway, yeah, there's some sad ones. And um, yeah, but the dog's looking good. All right. Next one, uh, how it started, that's uh, Joe and Jill Biden, and then how it's going, there they are, the uh, first family. Um, the next one is uh, a kid imagining to be an astronaut in a box, and then an astronaut in actuality. Amazing, right? And then this last one, uh, I think this is the last one, isn't it, Jason? No. So this is how I'm introducing the sermon. <laughs> how it started, Acts 1-8, Jesus tells them, go out and be my witnesses everywhere uh, and to the ends of the earth. That's the big thing there. The shocking part is not Judea and Samaria. It's to the ends of the earth. They're sitting there hearing that for the first time. I got to believe, I'm sorry, Jason, I got out of this thing. Um, I got to believe they're hearing this for the first time. They're going, wait a second, to the ends of the earth? (laughs) That's good. That's really good, Jesus. Um, But then at the end, what do we have here? We have Paul lived in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching him about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul in Rome. So it's happening. That's the whole point. And that's how I'm introducing the whole book of Acts to you, is to see the first and then to see how it started and how it's going because it continues to go out. In order to understand the book of Acts, you have to see it as this thing, this, this community that's in movement, in motion. And they're discovering as they live it out, just how big God's project is. And the same is true for us. We actually discover how big God's project is by living it out, not by reading about it, not by thinking of it as an idea, but by actually enacting it and seeing it take place. And that is what they were doing, and that's this whole sermon series that we're in um, here in June and July. As we traverse through Acts and look at different ways in which the walls were coming down, the tables were being made longer, as we continue to see God and his community breaking, God's community breaking through all the boundaries. It's a sense in which that's what we're looking at each week is the secret sauce of this early community. And part of the secret sauce, going back to last week, was was the declaration that Josh so beautifully gave us that all nations belong. And today we're saying every body belongs. Every space, body space belongs. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at first John 10, because in the wisdom of the lectionary, often John 10 and Acts 2 go together. And I think it's because if we're going to be talking about the community that they had, we have to ground it in that it's in the community of Jesus. And in particular, the community of the good shepherd. So that's the first thing. The community of Jesus is a good shepherd community. It's the lens that makes up the community. What does that entail? Why did Jesus choose this metaphor? Well, the short answer is, well, it's a life that is entirely based on the new way of being in the world that Jesus taught us. Based on love and mercy and forgiveness, not dominative, um, not defined by the ways and means of death. Okay, all good. But there's more going on with this. When Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, 
something is clicking in the original audience that I want to click for you right now. Because I believe when Jesus says in that passage about the good shepherd, and he talks about others have come to rob and to steal and destroy, a number of things came up in mind for that original audience. Because I think Jesus is actually talking about very specific people when he says this. He's talking about false messiahs who had come from the, who were part of the first century because there was a new messiah each day, it seems. That was the original audience's mentality when they would know about. Like if I said something like Watergate or 911 or now, sadly, January 6th, you, all sorts of things come to mind. You don't have to tell the whole story. It's part of the collective consciousness. So what were they thinking? Well, one of those false messiahs, who was very well known and had a huge following, called himself the shepherd. His name was Athronges. My middle name is Orman. That's a beautiful name. And Thronges, <laughs> Athronges, even more so. You know, when you name your children, I always tell parents, this is not in the notes, you tell parents, do no harm in the naming of the kids. That's the only job. Just do no harm. All right? Um, Athronges, I'm sorry, you had to spell that for everybody, etc. But it was a household name. It was a household name to the original audience. And the way this person called himself the shepherd and the way he enacted that was he was famous for it, which was employing guerrilla tactics to kill people. Athronges and his crowd were really good at killing human beings. And eventually Rome had enough of it, and he was killed along with all of his followers. So we can say that this shepherd who came to kill because that's what he did. And then there's another one, Judas bar Hezekiah, or the son of Hezekiah. His band of followers were known for robbing Romans and then robbing wealthy Jews and just about anybody else. So you could say that this false Messiah came to steal. Do you see the pattern here? What's going on? Steal, kill, all that's left is destroy. Well, there's an app for that. Uh, There was this person named Simon of Perea, and he massed a following claiming to be the Messiah. His biggest claim was that he burned down Herod's palace in Jericho. The Romans caught him, and guess what they did with him? Killed him, chopped off his head. You could say that he came to destroy. So some come to kill, some come to steal, some come to destroy. These false messiahs tried to change the world by the means of death and violence, and that is not the way of Jesus. And all it did for their followers was lead them to more death and violence. You could say they were bad shepherds, And this is why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Would you like more history of the first century? I'm just curious. Bring it on. on. Okay. History teachers back there. Yeah, all right. There will be a quiz after church. I want to know if you really listen to that. Here's my point. All those false messiahs gathered their following around the energy of hate. Suddenly this becomes very relevant around the energy of hate, understandably as they live under the boot of military occupation. Of course there was that energy present. They were being oppressed and hurt. It was awful. They used violence, robbery, and destruction to further their agenda. Those very things have been used on them as well. That's how hate has a tendency to work. So they tapped into the power of hate, and and, and honestly, drawing a crowd is really easy with the energy of hate. There will always be people who follow false messiahs of hate, then and now. But Jesus comes to give a new way of being in this world. Because there has to be a better way. There has to be. 
the way of love, the way of forgiveness, the way of peace, the way of mercy. Jesus said, the sheep hear his voice of the good shepherd. And the good shepherd says, tap into the energy of love. It's not as sexy as hate. It's not as immediately gratifying as hate, let's be honest. It's also not as destructive as hate. The good shepherd says, I know it's hard, but it's also the way that leads to life. Love your enemy because any other way is just recycling the hate. Jesus, of course, enacted this himself on the cross as he's being just killed, murdered, in a state-sanctioned execution, religiously endorsed. As he's up there, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the recycling that he calls us into as well, to recycle the death. Because if we don't do that, we're just going to end up following a false Messiah who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I know it says that the good shepherd calls you by name. I love that. Because the bad shepherd will always make you a number and not a person. You will be objectified by the bad shepherd. You would be a thing to be counted, not a person to be loved. The numbers tattooed on the arms of those in concentration camps comes to mind. The, fake, the, the hate politicians who talk about people as animals come to mind. Entire groups of people can be disposable and scapegoated once you make them a number. Not in the peaceable kingdom of the good shepherd, however. You are called by name, and you are never a number. And he calls you out. So I'm asking a hard question today. And I ask it of myself. Every time I ask you a hard question, please know I'm asking it of myself. Or I'm trying to. What do you need to be called out of today? As the good shepherd knows you by name and says to you, I'm calling you out of, what is the end of that sentence? Only you can fill that in. Or maybe your spouse or your best friend or some of, some of your community around you, your partner needs to tell you what maybe that is if you ask. What are you being called out? Some of us, I would say a lot of us, me, I'll include myself in this, can be easily trapped in some, captured in some kind of hatred. It's easy to do in our current climate. While opposing hatred, it's easy for the narratives of hate that have captured our imagination, and Jesus wants to call you out of that because it will only lead to harm. And Jesus calls you by name. Come on. Come out of that cycle. Come out of that. Some of us are trapped in our pain. Maybe pain that was visited upon you. You didn't deserve it. Was it your fault? I often say that one of the most powerful things I ever say in pastoral care is when I meet with someone is to look in the eye when they have been hurt badly by someone else and say, this is not your fault. I remember the first time I heard those words of my therapist when I was processing my own sexual molestation as a child. He looked at me and he said, it's not, it was not your fault. And there's a sense in which Jesus, through this therapist, spoke to me and called me out of my pain to receive healing. Yes. How is God calling you out today? How is God calling you to be a conduit of the good shepherd's love and healing in this community, in your family, in this city? 
Because the community of Jesus is a community of the good shepherd. That this community taps into love. Secondly, the community of Jesus is an interconnected community. And we see that in the Acts 2 reading. Where they took care of one another. Very simply. It says they would sell their possessions and goods, distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. This, in some ways, is a snapshot of what each church aspires to be. That's what this diaconate fund is about. You participated in that very activity when you decided to give of whatever you could to the deacon fund. Because this is how we try to be for each other. And what set them apart wasn't that they had easy community. Their community was a sociological impossibility. It was breaking barriers everywhere. It was breaking, trashing the boundaries and barriers of patriarchy that dominated this first century culture. They were gender-bendering as well because, you know, you had folks who were doing things that only men were supposed to do or only, uh, you know, only women are supposed to be down there and men are up here. And they were turning everything upside down and they were experimenting left and right. It was an energetic community that saw what Dr. King told us, which is my well-being is caught up in your well-being, and we are all interconnected in this together. Willie James Jennings, in his masterful commentary in the book of Acts, said this, The deepest reality of life and the spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they want to go. Indeed, the Spirit seems to always be pressing the disciples to go to those whom they would, in fact, strongly prefer never to share space or a meal, and definitely not life together. Yet it is precisely this prodding to be boundary-crossing and border-transgressing that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. Acts is the story of a God who desires us and all of creation and will not release us to isolations, social economic, cultural, religious, gendered, and geographic. So the community of Jesus is a community that's committed to being for one another, to walk with one another in empathy and in grace and love and in mercy. It says they had generous hearts, and that's what we aspire to be today as we emerge from the pandemic. We aspire to be a community that is for each other, and we're doing it. I'm frankly amazed at what I see and hear from people as I talk with all of you in different uh, contexts about how this community, in in ways I didn't even know, were being for one another and helping each other through these last few years in particular. And so, the community of Jesus was interconnected. And we are called to that as well. Lastly, the community of Jesus is an inclusive community. And this we get from this book of Act, for this story in Acts chapter 3. We have this powerful story about a man who is lame since birth. He has people who bring him to the temple every day to beg for money from those who are going into the temple to pray because he is not allowed in. It was believed that if you, had, if you were lame from birth, if you had this issue, then it must be your parents or you or somebody has done something wrong. And Jesus obliterates that nonsense all the time. You think about the story of the man born blind, and, and Jesus is asked, you know, somebody, somebody asks Jesus, you know, who, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, this is not the way we think about this. This is not the way we think about it. We're here to be conduits of love and mercy and healing in this world. 
This is not some kind of a, you did this and God's coming back to get you. That's not how God operates. And so what happens in this powerful story, the man's outside the temple. He couldn't be inside. He's not allowed. Couldn't walk. And so along come Peter and John. And they heal the man in the name of Jesus Christ. I love the part where it says, they, they said, look at us. There was this eye contact going on. This is exactly what happens at City Hope. So many of you who have volunteered, you know this to be the case. So ably led by Paul Trudeau and his, his crew. And part of the good coaching we get when we volunteer there is we look at people, we ask them their name. People need to be seen. This man is seen. And he is welcomed into the temple along with the apostles, walking and leaping and praising God. And note, I want you to note, Peter did not require of the lame man belief in Jesus to offer him healing. It was Peter's belief in Christ actually that affected this healing. Similarly, the church need not accept only those who believe and act like us. You see, the gift of inclusion is as old as the church itself. And the welcoming, inclusive spirit of Jesus made room in every holy place for every person. Those who could not see, those who could not hear, those who could not walk, those who could not bear children, those who could not speak, those who bled, those who were young, those who were old, those who were different in any way. Jesus welcomes them all. All. He heals some of them, but he welcomes them all. This is the work of the gospel. And hidden, I think, in the details in some way in this healing story is this ecclesiological message. To be included in the worshiping community is to experience itself a form of healing. Whenever we throw open the doors wide and make sure there's room for everyone, you can be sure that some measure of healing is taking place. Because we know when people know that they're truly welcomed, they actually thrive. That's the exciting work of making room for everyone. We get to see the healing of inclusion on a regular basis in this church, and it's beautiful. I received an email not recently from one of our online congregants who lives in Toronto. That's right. We literally, I get emails from all over the place since we've gone online. It's beautiful. He wrote, I deal with fear in attending a new church without the certainty of knowing that who I love won't be the reason I might be excluded from the community. When I started listening to City Church, it did, it did feel like an answer to prayer as an assurance from God that there are spaces where all, bod- all are boldly welcomed and accepted with the grace, truth, and love of Christ. I'm grateful to feel that, that I can be a part of this community even at a physical dif- distance. Amen. Amen. So your support, friends, your support of this church gives us the capacity to do that kind of healing work all the time. For others, the healing work needed is to be welcomed with all their questions and all their doubts. Another congregant wrote, The sermon the other day was a beautiful presentation of the gospel without any condemnation or shame or manipulation or guilt. It made me want to worship God again. I can't tell you how many times I've been told that. That's because I know everyone is welcome here, I feel like I can actually worship again. It's been a long time since I've felt that way. Thank you. Friends, doing the good work of theology through the lens of disability, I have lots of friends who do that kind of good work, 
through the lens of disability, they point out that we're all actually dealing with disabilities. Some are obvious, some hidden. I suppose almost all of us have experienced circumstances in life that limit us or change the way we move through the world. And I think Peter and John had learned we are all in this together, no matter what our abilities or disabilities may be. It may be harder for some than others to hear the sermon, to read the scripture, to walk down the aisle, to receive communion, but we are all one body in Christ, and we do all we can to accommodate and welcome each and every one of you as children of God. There's the theology behind that is pretty rich. It's very simple. Human beings matter. Human beings need to belong. Um, in her brilliant book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request. How's that for a great title? Amy Kinney says this, The idea that our bodies don't matter to God is a lovely idea that comes, excuse me, that our bodies don't matter to God is a lovely idea that comes from a warm place with a cozy blanket, but it's not true. To be sure, I am a beloved child of God, but it does matter what happens to my body. Our bodies matter. If they didn't, why would Jesus bother with the incarnation? seems messy to go through all that spit and sweat and suffering if it was merely about souls. Jesus could have snapped a finger, Thanos-style, and waved goodbye to the dominions of darkness. It certainly would have been so much cleaner and less painful that way. But Jesus chose to take on a body and enter what it means to be human, even all the snotty bits we blush about. The Word became flesh, and we try to turn it back into words again. Our theology is incarnational because bodies matter. Now, that's the community of Jesus. I wonder if Peter and John, when they were telling this man, look at us, I wonder if, if they were remembering Jesus said something that he also wasn't just the good shepherd, but also the gate. The gate. And what that's alluring to is how they would actually herd sheep in that day. And that they would keep them in their places. And the way they could get from one spot to the next, they have to cross over a ravine. And literally, this little section is where the shepherd would lay down and the sheep would go right across the shepherd's back to the next uh, sheep pen. Jesus says, I am that. I'm that gate. I'm the one who allows access in and out. Letting in, letting out, keeping safe, making sure you're being led to nourishment for your souls giving us all we need. And I believe inviting us as followers of the Good Shepherd, as under-shepherds of the Good Shepherd, to lay down our lives, to lay down with our power and privilege to do all that we can to lay down our lives so that others can walk across our backs to the welcome and the love of God. And that, friends, is part of the secret sauce that leads to us today, 2,000 years later, still talking about this good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear the voice of the good shepherd. Give us ears to hear. You call us each one by name. Help us to hear you. Help us to hear you, Jesus, calling us out of our hate, of our anger, of our lack of forgiveness, of our grievance mentality, of our frankly terrible attitudes, our fear, our pain. 
our sadness, call us out. Not in a way that bypasses sadness, not in a way that stuffs or represses those feelings, but to know that all of that is safe in your presence. That you are not afraid of the mess that we bring and the combination of emotions that we hold. That you will walk with us to see healing take place. And so as we follow you, Jesus, lead us into life. Little by little until we can say that this just isn't just life. It's the abundant life of the beloved community where all belong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.